You are listening to the Impact Church Podcast. To learn more about Impact Church, visit us online at impactharlem.org. You can also check us out on social media. Good morning, church. Man, how y'all doing? Man, so before before anything, I'm going to just let y'all know I got some water up here. So, um... What they teach you is growing up, right? You go through puberty around 11, 12. And if anybody was here last week, you realize that at 35, maybe your voice kind of starts cracking again. So I'm just realizing that. Um, I had some high-pitched noises last week. There was some, just some stuff going on in here. So I'm going to try to just stay uh, hydrated, lubricated, all that good stuff, right? So, um, man, we've had a lot of sickness going around. COVID's kind of maybe taking a spike, some kind of sickness is going around. And man, it just got me thinking back to 2020 when we launched this church and we met in here for about 10 weeks. And then the school said, hey, get out. Like nobody else can be here. And man, as a church planter, you're thinking, what is happening? Like what in the world is going on? There's there's a new church in this city. Like we've put a lot of time and investment and Um, God has just shown up and done some amazing things, and now we have to go meet somewhere, not at a school. There's nowhere else to meet. We pretty much have to go online only. What does that look like? We're not ready. There were a lot of things going through our head, but this is what we always knew is that the church isn't the building. The church is the people. The church is a movement, And, and what God says is, hey, that on, on the proclamation that Jesus is who he is, that's, the church is built on that proclamation. And guess what? Nothing can stand against it. Not even the gates of hell can stand against it. So you guys, you are the church. You are the movement that God is doing. And I want you to know that. I want you to believe that. But some of you, as you walk through these doors, there's some hurt in your life. There's some, some hang-ups that you have. Maybe there's some, some addiction. Maybe there's some habits that you just can't break. There's some things going on in your life that you wish just weren't going on. And I want to tell you this morning that prayer changes everything. And the reason that I can say that is because prayer, it is, it's really the way that we connect to the ultimate change agent. And the ultimate change agent is Jesus Christ himself. It's not me. It's not even this group of people. It's Jesus. And through prayer, we're connected to the ultimate change agent. We're going to continue on in our series. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, starting at verse 7. And what I want you to know is that this is the second time we're going to talk about prayer, right? Jesus, he talked about money. He talked about prayer. He talked about fasting. He talked about money. Now he's talking about prayer again. So obviously prayer's pretty important. And in verse 7 of Matthew 7, it says this, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. Now usually I don't pull out a whole lot of Greek grammar because one, I'm just not that smart. Two, it's just very confusing Right, But this is important. Sometimes I'll pull out the definition of a Greek word because I think it enhances what, what Scripture is actually trying to say. But the grammar of this is really important. See, this is the present second person active imperative. 
right? And I know that sounds crazy. What that means is this is a command. And it would really be better translated as ask and ask and keep asking. Seek and seek and keep seeking. Knock and knock and keep knocking. What Jesus is saying here, and if you're taking notes, this is point number one, is don't stop praying. Whatever you do, don't stop praying. See, our prayers should be persistent. We should continuously pray desperately and purposefully, and we shouldn't stop. Jesus is saying here, hey, don't stop praying. And he shares two parables in the book of Luke where he talks about this idea of of praying persistently and not stopping. And the first we see is in Luke chapter 18. He says, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So here's a question really quick. Why would someone lose heart while they're praying? And this is, for me personally, this is what I think, is that when we ask and we don't receive, we lose heart. When we seek and we don't find, we lose heart. When we knock and the door's not opened, we lose heart. And Jesus says this, hey, when that happens, keep on praying. Don't stop. Keep praying. Verse 2, he said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. How many have kids? Be proud of those kids. How many of you have ever made a terrible parenting decision because your kids beat you down with their continual asking of something, right? It's like, yeah, sure, candy for dinner, whatever you want, I don't care. Just leave me alone. And Jesus says, hey, pray like that. Pray like a kid who continuously asks. That's how you need to pray. In my house, the phrase, ask me again, isn't an invitation, right? It's a threat. Ask me again and some bad stuff's going to happen. See, our Heavenly Father says, hey, ask me again. Ask me again. Ask me again. Keep asking. Keep coming. Keep asking. Keep asking. Don't stop praying. And then in Luke chapter 11, right after he goes through the model prayer that we talked about a few weeks ago, he says, and he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, also his boldness, his determination, also translated that way, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Here's here's the point of this parable is in the first century, there was one bedroom house. The family would gather together in the middle of that room. So babies, mama, daddy, all together. And if you are a parent and you remember when you first brought that baby home, when the baby's asleep, everything goes on lockdown. The doorbell better not ring. The dogs better not bark. The older kids better not wake up. The little kid like you're on lockdown. And that's what this is saying. Hey, so he's not going to get up and help you because he's your friend. He's going to get up and help you because you won't stop knocking. 
And parable literally means to lay beside. And a lot of times it's comparing two things. And maybe your question is, so are, are we supposed to compare God to an unjust judge and a sleepy neighbor? And what Jesus is doing here, instead of comparing the two things, he's contrasting the two things. And he's saying if an unjust judge and a sleepy neighbor will give you what you ask for because you won't stop, how much more will your heavenly father who loves you give good gifts to his kids? Now we serve a God who loves us and who wants us to be blessed in his name for our sake and for his glory. Now we serve a good father. So here's my question for you. What are you praying for? What are you praying for? Are you praying for new churches to be started? Are you praying for the gospel to shine and to go forth? Are you praying for healing? Are you praying for breakthroughs in people's lives? What are you praying for? And maybe you're praying for those things and none of those things have happened. And you're losing heart and you don't want to pray. And Jesus would say this, keep on praying. Don't stop. Keep praying. If he answered everything that you prayed for, if the answer was yes for everything, how would this world be different? How would this world be different because of your prayers? Or are your prayers really just self-centered and self-focused? Now, my heart for us that is when we leave this place today that our prayer life is completely different because our focus is completely different. And we realize that God is at work and we don't stop praying. My granddad was a pastor um, at a lot of different churches, a lot of different times, and I never really wanted anything. Uh, when he passed away, he had a bunch of stuff, and I'm just not one of those people that's like, hey, I want that, I want that, I want that. He had this this clash ring that I thought was really cool. I was I was younger, so it was like a South Carolina, like University of South Carolina clash ring. Don't know why I would ever want anything like that, but I think it was because it was his, so I wanted that, and then he had some Bibles that he preached from, and I wanted some of those. So in one of the Bibles... I've never really told anybody this story, but one of the Bibles had a list in the front. And it was some things that he was praying for. It was, it was people's names that he was praying for. And besides, some of those names were check marks where he was able to lead those people to Jesus. Some of those things that were environments would change so that the gospel could go forth. He had a, a list in the front of one of those Bibles and my question and the conviction in my life this week is, are we praying like that? Are we praying for lives to be changed by the good news of the gospel of Jesus? Are we praying that God uses us in such a way that reaches dead people so that he can bring them back to life? What are we praying for? And as we see this process going along, this is an ask, seek, knock. It's not, a, it's not just a do this, do this, do this. It's a process, and it's elevated. It says, hey, if you ask and you don't, you don't get that, then seek. See if you can find it. If you don't find it, then knock. Open the door, or try to get the door open. See, what you don't just pray for a job, right? You apply. 
for a job. You don't just pray for a date or a wife. You apply yourself for a date or a wife. And we could talk about that. That's a whole different sermon. We're not getting into that. Matthew 7, verse 80 says, For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be open. So this is Jesus' promise. Do you believe that promise? See, I believe that promise as well, except there are times that I'm asking and I'm not receiving. And there's times that I'm seeking and I'm not finding. And there, there are times that I'm knocking and the door's not open. So how do we reconcile the difference between Jesus' promise that if we ask, we're going we're gonna to get this, right? If we seek, we're going to find. If we, if we knock, it's going to be open with the reality that there's a lot of stuff that we ask for that we don't receive. There's a lot of stuff we try to find that we never find it. There's a lot of doors we try to get open that we just can't get open. So how do we deal with unanswered prayer? What do we do? And I would encourage you to always, always just go to the Bible for the answer. That use the Bible as commentary unto itself. And we see that the Apostle Paul in, in 2 Corinthians, he's dealing with unanswered prayer. And if we're going to be honest, Paul was probably way, 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 way farther along in his process of sanctification than any of us in this room. Would you agree with that? Paul had a special relationship with Jesus. Paul, man, he had this ministry where people would take his used handkerchiefs and like slap people and they'd be healed, right? Like holy snot in literal terms. This is, this is how close he was to Jesus. I've been in the ministry a long time and it, stuff like that's never happened in my ministry. So let's just agree that Paul has this special relationship. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 7, says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. Let me give you a quick little context of this. So the first six verses, Paul is telling about all these amazing experiences he had with Jesus. That Jesus knocked him off the horse, that he saved him, that he had these special intimate worship experiences that he can't even explain. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of all of that stuff, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. And you say, are you telling me that God sends thorns of flesh in people? And I'm saying, Paul said that, right? I'm not saying that. But if we're going to believe scripture, then we, we have to believe that happens in our life. And what's, what was the thorn? And theologians have tried to debate this. Some people think it was bad eyesight because, man, in the book of Galatians, he says, I wrote this, the letters are big, and he can't see, like a lot of us have thorns, right, for eyesight. Um, some people think that it was just temptation was the thorn, and you can look at Romans 7 for that, and he says, hey, the, the things that I don't want to do, I continuously do. The things that I, I want to do, I just can't do it. But man, the, the power and the greatness is in Jesus who is within me. But I praise God that we don't know what the thorn is. Because there would be a whole section on Amazon or in the Christian bookstore on this particular thorn. And if we didn't have that thorn, then we wouldn't pay any attention to what Paul has to say about it. The point isn't what the thorn is. 
The point is that Paul had one. Verse 8 says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Now this is pleaded as a legitimate prayer. It's not some of those prayers that we do like, man, I'm, and I'm bad about this. Like right before we eat dinner and it's like, hey God, thank you. We love you. It's time to eat. Let's go. Let's get it on. Right? I'm not talking about this. This was a legitimate prayer. This is a prayer where you're down on your hands and your knees and you're just crying out to God. He pleaded three times. And times here is seasons. There were three seasons in his life where he asked God, he begged God to take this thorn away from him. Have you been there? Have you been there in your life? Maybe it's addiction and you've just, you've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed for God to take that away from you. Maybe it's your marriage and you've prayed and prayed for God to do something special in your marriage. You go to church and you see these couples and they're all happy and yours is barely hanging on by a thread. It seems like no matter what, you guys just can't get along and you can't do this marriage. Maybe it's a prodigal son. Maybe you've raised your kids in a certain way and you know the verse that if you raise your kids in the way of the Lord, they won't depart from it. And they made one bad decision and they're just so far away from the way that you raised them that you're praying for them and they just won't come back. And you know the prodigal son's story and you're just waiting for that day to see your son or your daughter walking back home so you could throw them a party. And it just hasn't happened yet. Have you been there? Maybe it's sickness. Maybe it's cancer. It seems like all the best people that you know have cancer. And you just don't understand it. And, and you've been praying for someone. Your, your life group's been praying. I've been praying. Everybody's been praying. And nothing's changing. That's what Paul is going through. In this moment. And he says this in verse 9. And this is the response that he gets. But he said to me. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Listen. The very thing that you are asking for, for me to remove. This is, this is what he's saying. Hey. The thing that you're asking for me to remove from you is the very thing that is perfecting my power in you. And there's some things in our life that we're, we're trying to get rid of, that we don't want or we're trying to make happen. And, and God is saying, hey, the very things you're asking for, you don't need to get rid of those things because that's what's perfecting my power in you because my power is made perfect in your weakness. And Paul is dealing with, with this and and God loves us enough to allow us to be disciplined because good parents discipline their kids see you can discipline without love but you can't love without discipline and it's so important for us to understand that our God is a good father who loves us enough to discipline his kids because his Strength is made perfect in our weakness. Therefore, 
I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul says, hey, I am content in not getting what I asked for. I am content in life not getting everything that I asked for, not not finding every time I seek, the door not being open every time I knock. And you say, how can you be that way? How can you be content? And it's because he believes what he wrote to the church in Rome in Romans 8, 28, when he said, all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose, that God is at work. God is at work. How many of you believe that today? That God is working. Sometimes we see that unanswered prayers were, were a great thing, right? Some of you, you you prayed and you prayed for a wife. You picked a girl out, which is just ridiculous, right? We don't get to do that. We should let God send, you know, do all that stuff. But what we do is we pray for a wife or a husband, whatever it may be for you. And then we pray for a specific person. That's the one we want, right? And some of you went to your high school, like 15 year reunion and you're like, praise hands. Thank you, God, for that unanswered prayer because they don't look the same as they did 15 years ago. So you may not get what you want, but you get God himself. And he's what you need more than anything else. Jesus himself had to deal with unanswered prayer. We talked about this in the garden. He goes and he prays and he's, he's talking to his father in heaven. And Jesus is, he's praying and he's saying, hey, if there's any way for this cup of wrath to pass from me, if there's any other way, if all roads really do lead to heaven, then I don't want to do this part because they can have these other roads. And he's praying and he's praying and he's pleading and he's, he's desperately talking to his father. And he says, hey, but not, not what I will. What you will be done. We all deal with unanswered prayer. And the reality is, and if you grew up in church, you, you've heard this before, but the reality is that God answers all prayers. Sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's no, and sometimes it's not now. We go back to Matthew 7, he says, Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good thanks to those who ask him? So this is what Jesus is saying. How many dads we got in the room? Yeah, okay. So he's looking at us, right? He's looking at us dads, and he say, Hey, dads, y'all are evil. You're like, hey, I'm not an evil dad. I'm a good dad. And he's like, no, nah, man, I know those evil thoughts you have towards your kids, right? So when you're taking that nap on Sunday morning and those kids are, tr are being loud and waking you up and you want to ship them off somewhere, that's evil, man. You shouldn't think like that. Or when there's some school event going on and a big baseball game's happening on TV and you got to choose between your kid or watching the Braves and you really want to choose the Braves, that's evil, we're just evil people, man. We're just human people. 
And Jesus is saying, hey, if, if these dads, these human dads, these imperfect dads, if they can give good gifts to their kids, how much more will your good, good father in heaven give good gifts to his kids? How much more would your father in heaven give good gifts to you? A.W. Tozer said this, the most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. And this is, this, is, this is legit. This is a big deal. The most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. And this is important because it changes how we pray. Because if we see God as just a judge, then we'll always be def- defensive, we'll always be fearful. The inner lawyer will always try to tell God why we're not guilty. Or if we just see God as some boss, then we'll always work really hard to earn his approval. Or if we see God as some cosmic distant being, then we we may go through some religious rituals, but we'll lack the relationship. If we see God as only a king, he is a king, but if we see him as only a king, we fall into some legalistic citizenship. And we say, well, how far can I go before I go too far? And if we see God as the old man upstairs, then we'll be on our best behavior when we're in his house. But when we see God as father, it changes everything. When we see God as father, then we know how to pray because kids know how to ask their fathers for stuff. Are you praying like that? Are you praying like he is your good father? It changes everything. Changes everything. And sometimes when I say the word father, some of you, it really helps. And some of you, you cringe because your earthly father wasn't there. And when you asked, you didn't receive. And when you tried to seek, you didn't find. And when you knocked, you just got knocked back down. And I want you to know that God is not the reflection of your earthly father, that he is the perfection of what it means to be a good, good dad. That he's the perfection of that. And you could go to him like a child would go to his father. The good dads would never give their kids harmful things. When you ask for for a bread, we're not giving you stone. When you ask for a fish, we're not giving you a snake or a scorpion or anything like that. We're going to give you good gifts because we love you. And Jesus is saying here, hey, God's going to do the same thing. But here's the problem. A lot of times we think we're asking for bread and fish, but we're really asking for stone and scorpions. And he says no, because he knows that it's not bread and it's not fish. And we can't see that in our limited perception. We just can't see it. And he's never going to give us harmful things. So although we think we're asking for good stuff, he may be up there saying, hey, you know what? This is bad. I know you're going to be mad, right? How many of you ever have this conversation with your kids? I know you're going to be mad. I know you're not going to like this, but it's for your benefit. It's for your good. It's because I love you. It's because I want you to make better decisions because I want you to have a promising future. How much more will your father in heaven answer prayers that way? 
The reason we, we can pray with such boldness is because we have an invitation from our Father. The reason we can pray with such boldness is because we have an invitation from our Father. And what's the invitation? To enter into His presence. We have an invitation to enter into His presence. Tim Keller says this, the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is the king's child. We have that kind of access. We're going to close with this. But you know the moment, right? Let's just think about this for a second. The moment when your kid wakes you up for a glass of water at 3 a.m. This happened to me the other day, and I, it wasn't at night. It, I was taking a nap. Same thing for me. I sleep the same whether I'm taking a nap or it's night. doesn't matter. I'm going. I don't want anybody messing with me. And you just get this feeling that there's like a demon watching over you. And I'm laying there, and I wake up, and I kind of jump a little bit. And my, my middle kid is standing there just staring at me. And she's like, Daddy? Yes, that's me. Like, we, we that's good. What do you want? Nothing. Great. Fantastic. So there are times where they, they, all can't, they all come in our bedroom all the time. And most of the time they go to Ashley's side, praise God. But sometimes they come to my side and like, hey, can I get some chapstick? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And then I look at Ashley like, hey, she wants some chapstick. So this is what we do, though. I'm not going to get mad at them and give them something other than chapstick. They can wake me up at 3 a.m. in the morning because they're mine. If some of y'all come to my house at 3 a.m. in the morning, it ain't going to go that way. I'm just telling you. We have that kind of access to our Father in heaven because He loves us. He's a good, good Father who wants to give good gifts to his kids. See, the reason that we don't pray the way we, we ought to pray, see, it's not about technique. That doesn't matter. The technique, that's why we're not talking about some kind of technique for prayer. It's not about that. The reason that we don't pray like we should pray is because we don't see God the way we should see him. And we should see him first and foremost as father. And that we are his children. Jesus is saying, hey, pray like a kid who just asks and asks and asks and seeks and seeks and seeks and knocks and knocks and knocks. And trust that your heavenly Father loves you and is for you and wants to give you good gifts. And if it doesn't go the way you want it to go, it may be just because that we don't know all that he knows. We don't know all that he knows. And we see in Galatians Chapter 4, starting in verse 3, it says this, In the same way, we, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Listen to this. And because you are sons... God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. That's prayer. So you are no longer a slave or a bondservant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Here's the deal. A lot of, some translations have changed this to sons and daughters. And I know that 
that, that kind of makes a difference sometimes. But I want you to understand why the word son is written here. It's because in, in this century, the only, the only child who would be able to receive everything to be an heir was the firstborn son. So when Paul's writing this, he's saying, hey, you were adopted as that firstborn son, as the one who gets everything from your heavenly father. You are an heir with Christ Jesus himself. And the word slave here is doulos, and that, that's really a bondservant. You weren't born into this. It, it was just you paying off a debt. And what he's saying is, hey, you don't have to pay this anymore. You don't have to try to earn this. You're no longer a bondservant. You're a son or a daughter of the Most High. And your Father who is in heaven loves you. Your debt has been paid in full. He knows you fully. He loves you fully. And He's paid for you fully. He is your good Father who wants to give good gifts to His kids. And if you're dealing with some unanswered prayer this morning, don't stop praying. Don't stop praying. Unanswered prayer is not fun because we don't know all that he knows. But we can trust that his grace is sufficient for us and that his power is made perfect in our weakness. How are you praying? Are you praying like that? And I, I was a youth pastor for a long time, and I used to tell my students, man, don't even pray for something if you don't believe it can happen. And I was young and I was dumb back then. I'm not telling you that. I'm telling you what I used to say. Man, if, if you know anything about me, you know that um, I grew up in a, a really good home. My dad's a really good dad, and I never had to worry about anything. I knew that I was going to be taken care of. And how much more does my heavenly father love me? But man, my, my brother, my brother's here, and he, he grew up the same way I did. We went two different paths, right? I went this way. He went this way. Um, and he just went a different way, man. And I used to pray that God would break the chains of addiction and that he would he would just come back and, man, I just prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And you pray so much and nothing happens. And I used to tell my students that, man, so I pray for this and I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure that he can be changed. And Jesus would say, hey, keep praying. Keep praying. Ask me again. Ask me again. Ask me again. And I remember he called me over to my parents' house. I was married. And he said, hey, so I really sit on the back porch. And when I say porch, man, I'm just talking about a, a little slab. We're from Hepzibah, a little slab, right? And he calls me over there. We're sitting on the back porch. He says, hey, so I'm ready. Like, I'm ready to make that decision to give my life to Jesus. And what am I going to say? Okay, yeah, man. What, like, let's pray. 
doesn't mean everything was perfect, but it means that not only was I praying for him, his mama was praying for him, his daddy was praying for him, churches were praying for him, and nothing happens. And what we do is we stop praying. We, we just give up. And Jesus says, don't stop praying. Don't stop asking. Don't stop seeking. Don't stop knocking. Because I'm working all things out for the good of those who love me. Are you praying like that? Stop praying. We have the boldness to go into the presence of our Father because we are His kids, and the only ones that can wake up a king are His children, and that's us. Are you praying like that? Let's stand together. Thank you for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast. For this and other messages, visit us online at impactharlem.org. In the meantime, you can subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it on iTunes, and share it with your friends on social media. Once again, thanks for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast.